It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, local experts on the biggest stories. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on Vikings on the Locked On Podcast Network, 396th episode of this program. My name is Sam Ekstrom on Twitter at Sam Ekstrom, covering the Vikings for zonecoverage.com. The co-host, as usual, Sage Rosenfeld on Twitter at Sage Rosenfeld18, former NFL quarterback. Sage, good morning to you, my friend. Good morning, Sam. Uh, let's get right into it. Let's talk about, uh, well, there's not a, lot, not a ton of Vikings news uh, going on this week, but uh, always news around the NFL. Yeah, well, we'll get to a little bit later some comments Mike Zimmer made at the big coaches breakfast at the meetings in Orlando. But there's probably some bigger news coming out of those meetings in Orlando that will have an effect league-wide. And I think we, we've touched on the catch rule a little bit and, and how that's kind of getting more ambiguous and maybe opening the door for some more things to be catches that weren't catches before. And that's going to have its own issues. But I think an even greater can of worms potentially opened yesterday with the passing of, I don't even know what to call it, helmet hit rule, I guess they're saying, where if you lower the helmet to initiate contact, you can be penalized and potentially ejected. Now, here's the wording from an official NFL PR spokesman, it is a foul if a player lowers his head to initiate and make contact with his helmet against an opponent. The player may be disqualified. It applies to any player anywhere on the field. Uh, Your thoughts, Sage, on this new, I think, pretty controversial rule? Uh, Of all the rules that the NFL has passed or tried to pass in recent years, uh, and it's every offseason, there's always you know, three to five rules they change or, or change the wording or whatever. Uh, this is hands down um, the worst thing. Uh, it makes no sense to me. I mean, the, listen, the, the NFL, and I'm all about trying to protect players, protect players even from themselves. But it's just that, I mean, if you're a running back or you're a receiver with the ball and you're running and someone's going to come out and take your leg, everyone lowers their head. It's just sort of the way it goes at the point of sort of point of uh, of no return. Uh, players lower their heads. You know, the, the phrase getting behind your pads, which we love to use for a running back, basically means uh, your legs are, in the, are behind you and your head is in front of you and you're leaning forward, leaning with your head, uh, to, so you fall forward. I mean, there, uh, there's no other really way to play football without you, really your head first. Um, I, I, you know, I, I definitely understand you know, the targeting rule and, and helmet to helmet and all these types of things, but on every single play, players lower their head, whether it's running backs, whether it's you know, linebackers and safeties coming up on tackles. Uh, I, they lower their head to you know tackle the guys by their knees. They lower their head to tackle the guys by their waist. I mean, try being six foot two and going down to tackle a running back in, in the midsection without lowering your head. It's impossible. So I think we could almost call it the Ryan Shazier rule because 
This is, I think, uh, almost a direct reaction to what happened to Shazier, who suffered a spinal injury late last season. And, I mean, let, let's be clear about this. This is as much to protect the tackler as it is the, the tacklee. Would that be correct? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, they, they said any player on the field. And as, as I said, I, don't, I just don't see how an offensive player with the ball uh, who knows he's got a ton of contact coming at him, or you're in a goal line situation. How do you not lower your head uh, and you know to try to get you know get that extra yard? I it, the football is a game of inches, uh, and yeah, as I said, as you said, you know they're trying to maybe even help out defenders from hurting themselves, uh, which I think is good. I mean, a lot a lot of defenders do you know lower their heads and and you know sort of strike with the helmet first. Uh, but uh, it's just it's just gonna be really hard for them to to, to not do that. Uh, as, as I said, especially when uh, you know player you know the the form t- the actual form tackle is to get underneath a guy's pads, underneath his shoulder pads. Uh, you know, with, with your is up with your shoulder and your at the same time. You can't tackle somebody with your shoulder and leave your head out of it completely. Uh, who knows where this rule is going to end up being. Think about Adrian Peterson for a second. Like, how many penalty yards would he have had in his career if this rule were enforced uh, for for the last 10 years? Like he, Oh, oh tons. Yeah. Tons. I, I remember the, the, I think a lot of Vikings fans remember that, that Pittsburgh game when, when Favre was playing back in 2009, and, and it was late in the game, and Adrian uh, caught a pass right, right over the middle and turned, and the guy was right at him. He lowered his head. Completely ran over. I believe it was a linebacker, and uh, and ended up having a really long run on the play. Uh, you know, there was really nothing else that he could have done, um, uh, you know, to avoid that tackle other than sort of running through the tackle. I mean, Earl Campbell, some of his greatest highlights are him him running through a pile, and then as a safety comes up, lowering his head and running through the safety. Walter Payton, you know, Walter Payton may have had you know a thousand uh, uh, penalty penalties if this was the rule. You know, back in the, the you know the late seventies and eighties. So, um, what, what we shall see, see where this rule leads us. It does seem like a little too great of a leap to make. Now, now here's the data that they came that came out of last year. Concussions were at their highest rate. I think they had 281 reported concussions last year. Now, to be honest, some of that I think is just awareness. I think I think their evaluations are stricter. I think that the teams are cracking down a lot more, which might lead to some of those inflated numbers. But it, to me, it seems like the first step is, you know, you, you start strengthening the punishments for helmet-to-helmet hits and targeting, you know, like they have in college where they have ejections. But but again, this is changing, I think, fundamentally the way not only you play defense, but the way you play offense. And apparently, they don't have a replay component to it yet, which it's going to be a whole snafu because you're really, you're darned if you do and you're darned if you don't, because if you don't have replay, well, then you're going to have officials trying to legislate this on the fly at full speed. And you're going to have calls that, you know, go missed. You're going to have calls that are incorrect. If you open this up to replay, I mean, you're going to be replaying for an hour a game. At what point do you say, we want to replay this. We don't want to replay this. Does it need to be challenged? How do you even bring replay into this conversation? I don't know. Well, the conversation about replay is, you know, people, a lot of people don't like replay. Uh, I don't mind it because I think it's important to get the, the right call, uh, especially on, you know, scoring plays and turnovers and things like that. But, you know, they're talking about maybe doing replays on, 
uh, you know, longer pass interference calls. Now they're talking about replays here. I mean, it almost seems like they want to replay almost every game, uh, every play in an NFL game. So I just don't see how how the, the, the wording of this rule, a penalty can't be called on, as I said, almost every play. Every, every running play where a running back gets in the open field and a, and a player comes up to tackle them, the running back lowers their head. It's what they do. I mean, you, you, if you're if a running back is running towards the pylon and a player is coming up to tackle him, you're gonna tell me that the running back is not gonna lower his head. You're gonna tell me that the that the DB or or the, or the linebacker isn't gonna lower his head to try to make that tackle. It's the best way to tackle somebody is to get underneath them, and unless you're on your knees, uh, it's hard to get underneath somebody's pads unless you lower you know your head in some way. So. Uh, you know, good luck with it. Good luck with enforcing this rule. I just think that, um, and as I said, I'm all about trying to protect the players, limit concussions. Uh, the, I'm sure the number of concussions will go up every year uh, because just there's, as, as you said, there's so much more awareness. They're testing it. Uh, you know, there's there's, pe there's people watching these games now, and their whole job is just to look for players with concussions. That that, that was not the case just a few years ago. So. Uh, I just don't know how this this is going to be enforced. I mean, as I said, I think the officials could call it in any single every play, and you know it might come down to some of the most important plays in a football game, maybe even these scoring scoring plays, where the fans are going to say, "Hey, he lowered his head. That should be a penalty." Uh, but in, in the history of football, that that would never have been a penalty, and, and doesn't even just seems like a normal play. And I just don't see how it's going to be enforced. Watch it turn into like the NBA flop where offensive player barrels into a guy and they like do the, you know, like they're taking a charge, like they go way back and they say, oh, oh, he got me with the helmet. Feels like it's almost going to become that at some point here. So I liked, I liked how the, the, you know, the rule was before basically, you know, if you're, if you're a, a you, if you can protect yourself, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's and every, anything is in the game at that point, you know, it's, it's the, it's the, you know, the, the catches over the middle and, and, you know, the, the slants where you're running right into a safety and the player can't protect themselves and they're doing whatever they can, you know, to clean that up. But, you know, at the end of the day, if you can protect yourself, I mean, I think anything is game. If, if you're a defender, you want to, you, your job is to get something on the ground as quickly as possible. If you're an offensive player, your job is to get every yard, uh, every inch possible, really. And uh, I, I just don't see how you can do that without in some way lowering your helmet. Hi, this is David Locke, the CEO of the Locked On Podcast Network. In this crazy, unprecedented, and unnerving time, I know we're all living our lives a little differently. I thought we had some of our sponsors over the time that might be able to help you out. So we've reached out to them to get you specific offers. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app, and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Anxiety, stress, need something to calm yourself down? The Calm app is available for you, 40% off to our listeners at calm.com slash locked on NBA. Stuck at home, want fitness? Echelon Fit has been a sponsor of ours, and you can go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. And if you're looking to add some new knowledge and get a little smarter in your free time, Masterclass, or at least your time at home, masterclass.com slash P-E-R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. That's lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning in to Lockdown Podcast Network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and a respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing. 
So, uh, Pat Shermer's got a fun situation on his hands with the New York Giants. He has a disgruntled star receiver. Odo Beckham Jr. wants a boatload of money. Uh, His first three years in the league, superb. 1,300-plus yards, 10-plus touchdowns each of those seasons. Got hurt last year, didn't play much, only appeared in four games. And now he wants them to back up the Brinks truck and dump $20 million per year in his pocket. You get the feeling this this is leading up to maybe a holdout situation, which I think the teams almost always win. How do you think this thing gets resolved? My, my guess is that he doesn't go anywhere. Uh, if I'm Dave Gettleman, who's the general manager of the New York Giants, who, who was the assistant GM uh, when I was there in 2010, I trade him. I, I, I know I'm, I'm probably in the minority here because Beckham is such a talent, but, uh, but I trade him. I, I, I try to trade him to like, the Los Angeles Rams for Aaron Donald. Uh, who also is at that point where he he's going to want a new contract and he's working on a new contract right now. I'd rather have Aaron Donald for the next uh, you know seven or eight years uh, than than Odell Beckham. I mean I think I think a Beckham is he is a problem waiting to happen. You know uh, it's amazing like uh, the guy just came off a season where I don't know did he play in three to four or five games or yeah. did he even play that much last year? A couple games last year, so he had his worst season ever as a pro. Uh, a videotape just came out of him in a hotel room, which appeared to be cocaine on the on the table or whatever. And uh, now he's asking for twenty million dollars a year, you know, three million dollars more than than Antonio Brown, who is widely considered the best receiver in the NFL. That combination right there leads me to believe they should try to get rid of him for as much compensation as possible. And I know it's it's terrible to get rid of just a rare talent and he is a rare talent but if you can get some talent in return and in the long in the long term i think that would be a, the best decision for the new york giants uh you know receivers you know the, the, the vikings found adam thielen and Stephon diggs in the late rounds or undrafted receivers can be found antonio brown's a late round draft pick uh but if you can get you know they they need deep you know aaron donald or or a, a premier defensive player or even uh, a premier offensive lineman. I mean, they, they need a lot, or maybe like three or four players. That's that's what the uh, the Giants need right now. So I try to trade him and try to get some value for him, and, and I, I would not give him, uh, you know, that that twenty million dollars a year. The worst way to to help to help somebody mature is to give them twenty million dollars a year. <laughs> yeah, Beckham might be past the point of no return. I'm super intrigued about your. Beckham to the Rams trade. Now, I mean, probably a pipe dream that's probably just too blockbuster to actually happen. But, you know, I'm looking at the Rams receiving core and you know, they've got Cooper Cup, nice prospect, Robert Woods and and Tavon Austin. But they could use another, you know, marquee wide receiver. Nonetheless, I'm a little too intrigued to see Andamican Sue play next to Aaron Donald this year. I think I want to see that happen because you've got Donald, you know, who's who's ripping up the league at defensive tackle, probably the best in the NFL at that position. And then you've got the, the previous best at that position in Andamican Sue. That's going to be a ferocious tandem. I mean, that that's going to be fun to watch play out. Yeah, no, I mean, I think everyone's looking forward to the, you know, this Rams team has added a whole bunch of players this offseason. They've added some good corners and, uh, I believe a linebacker and, and now a Sue, uh, you know, every the Rams look like the best team in the NFL. One, one position they don't have um, is, is wide receiver that they, they've been trying to find a sort of a premier wide receiver there. Uh, you know, they, uh, they went and had, 
Oh, I'm trying to think of the guy's name from Buffalo. They traded for him last year. Sammy Watkins. Yeah, Sammy Watkins. I had him on sort of a one-year deal last year uh, and tried to make the most of it. He went and signed that huge deal in Kansas City. Their biggest weakness is, is wide receiver. You know, maybe it's Todd Gurley. Maybe Todd Gurley's a, a player that the New York Giants would be interested in. You know, Eli loves that running game. He needs to have that running game. And, and, and in the L.A. Rams style of offense, uh, it's sort of a you know plug-and-run type of situation. You know, it's that Kyle Shanahan. You don't need to have a premier back to have a really good running game. Maybe that's a position that, you know, they, they, they'd rather upgrade at wide receiver uh, than have a lesser running back. You know, who knows? But uh, – uh, I, I see the Rams as a team just because Eldell Beckham would want to go there. Uh, I believe he would, you know, he likes New York, he likes LA, uh, you know, he likes Miami. I mean, he, he's he's that type of guy, which to me is all the reason that you don't want him, don't want him on your football team. Now I'm just I'm just thinking out loud here, but I think the the Rams got Akib Talib uh, this off season, who's his big personality, got some issues. They got Marcus Peters. Big personality, got some ego issues. If they added Odell Beckham to that mix, they might just explode. I mean, just straight up. All those guys in L.A. and and Dynamican Sue. I mean, <laughs> well, the NFL needs to get uh, they need to do whatever they can to get the uh, the, the training camp uh, uh, TV show in it, with, with the L.A. Rams this year. That would be that would be that would be unbelievable ratings. Hard knocks. Oh man, yeah, the hard knocks show. Yeah, that'd be great. Last item of the day, Vikings Nugget. Yesterday, Mike Zimmer spoke at the coaches' breakfast to the assembled media, and he talked about some of the free agency things and touched on Teddy Bridgewater, who signed a curiously low-guaranteed deal with the New York Jets. I think it was half-million-dollar signing bonus, half-million-dollar workout bonus, and and the rest of it non-guaranteed. Zimmer says that he was getting... Some negative medical reports, and I, I can't remember if he used the word postseason report. It might have been a postseason evaluation that that was uh, sort of negative on the knee, and he didn't go into detail. But it falls in line with, I think, the contract Bridgewater got, the hesitancy of Bridgewater to discuss his knee with the New York media, and, and New York trading up to get that number three pick in the draft. It's odd. They progressed him along, you know, step by step. It seemed like he was on track. He even played in the game. And then to see a negative report come out about Bridgewater after the season, I guess, you know, when you have an injury of that magnitude, I guess it's not impossible that uh, you have a setback along the way. Yeah, and, and you know, I think that might be part of the reason that the Vikings weren't all that interested uh, in signing him to a long-term deal. My, you know, my guess is that he was, you know, probably four or five on the list. And, and uh, you know, as I, I think we talked about before free agency, uh, the Vikings had more information than all the other NFL teams as far as Teddy Bridgewater's knee. They not only uh, had you know seen him practice all year, but they saw the sort of the whole process of him rehabbing and how long it took, and if there was any setbacks and scar tissue and and all that inside information that Eric Sugarman, uh, those trainers and those doctors saw every single day. Uh, you know, the head coach gets all that information. There's uh, I'm sure a lot of uh, you know recommendations and 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 probably asking by Zimmer and the offensive coaches for you know what's your recommendation? How do you think that knee is going to be not just next year but in the long term? And you know, it looks like it was not uh, you know not great news you know for Teddy Bridgewater. Luckily, quarterbacks don't need need to have you know they're they're not you know they're not Lamborghinis and Porsches like wide receivers or or running backs or or DBs who have to have that top speed. But uh, you know having a bad knee. 
uh, that, that could really affect Bridgewater you know, long term. Obviously, the Vikings had some inside information. I am a little perplexed at what the Jets are doing here because they've got Josh McCown and they've said he's probably going to be the week one starter. So McCown starter, Teddy, if he's on the roster, you know, that means they'll have to pay him the salary, which is six, seven million dollars. But then they've got this third pick, which I think everybody assumes they, they traded up for to get a quarterback. So they're going to have highly drafted rookie quarterback uh, who I, I'm sure is hoping to be at least the backup. So you've got McCown, you've got Rookie, and then you're going to pay a third-string quarterback in Bridgewater $7 million? I mean, I, I just don't see how he makes the roster if they're being you know frugal about this. And maybe they made that trade after getting the intel on Bridgewater's knee. I don't know, but it seems like a long shot that he actually gets paid that salary this year. Yeah, my, my thoughts is that they, they look at Bridgewater as a guy who you know potentially could be the starter if everything works out really, really well. You know, it's like taking a flyer on him, as, as they like to say. So, you know, I, he, he's a high price. He'll be a high price backup, I guess. But, you know, they, they you know, Josh McCown's, what, like 39 years old or something. So they're looking towards the future. They know Josh isn't the long-term, you know, answer there. So whether it's Teddy or whether it's a draft pick or, or somebody else, they know that uh, they have to, they're looking towards the future. And, and, you know, I guess, uh, you know, Bridgewater, who had a lot of success in his first couple of years, uh, you, you might as well give him a chance and see if he's the guy. And, and you know, personally, I, I hope he is. I, I'm a big Teddy Bridgewater fan and, and hope he is the New York Jets quarterback for years to come. Yeah, I suppose the Jets have the cap space to, to eat that salary as well. Uh, fun show today, Sage. We got touched on a lot. We talked about Sue. We talked about Donald, talked about Beckham, talked about targeting, helmet to helmet, Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, good stuff. We'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good. He's Sage. I'm Sam. It's Locked on Vikings. LockedOnVikings.com. Locked on Podcast Network. Hey, sports fans. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked on Wolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves podcast on the Locked on NBA Network. The Wolves might be in the middle of what's turned out to be a pretty miserable season, but there's still plenty to talk about. From the aftermath of the trade deadline to looking ahead at what moves Gerson Rosas and the front office might be planning for the summer to the possibility that all-star snub Carl Anthony Towns could go off on any given night, it's still going to be a fun spring. Tune into Locked On Wolves daily, Monday through Friday. I'm Ben Beacon with Locked On Wolves, and we'll catch you next time.